everybody. It's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another edition, a very special edition of the Getting to Know podcast. Today, we're joined by the chair of our board of directors, Mr. John Rogers. John, thanks for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend with us today. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. It's great to have you. And I would love to spend a little bit of time helping our listening audience get to know more about you, better understand the the role of the board, and maybe even demystify the role of the board, because I'm not sure that you know the majority of our employees have the opportunity to interact with the board as much. So if that's good with you, we'll get it going. Sure, absolutely. Happy to help out. So let's start here. How long have you actually been involved with some version of what is now MADIV? Yeah, well, I guess that um, along with Andy Warlick, I'm, I'm one of the two longest serving members of the board, and we both joined, I guess it was uh, 2009. So yeah, it's been about... Uh, it's been about 14 years now, so, and we both came on on board in the um, the legacy SWM company. So that was my background, and I I started out as a member of the audit committee. The board has um, our board has three committees: audit, nominations, and governance and compensation. And and then I I chaired the audit committee for a number of years before taking over as board chair a few years back. How different is the role of board chair versus a a regular director or even a committee chair? Well, although it may sound like an impressive title, really, I think the key to being an effective board chair is knowing when to stand back and let the other board members do their job and to liaise directly with the CEO. Board chairs typically will, will be the primary point of contact between the CEO and the rest of the board, although my style is to is to make sure that Julie knows that she's got access all the time to um, to all members of the board. So that's those are the basic differences. How does one actually get involved in a board? Is it is it a similar call from a recruiter as what a director of audit or a sales director might get? Yes, people join boards in various ways, and and there's a very active search process. And so the firms that you might know in the world of executive search are involved. But um, sometimes it comes through business connection, someone that you've worked with who is also on the board. So there's a variety of different ways. In my case, I've just happened to have worked with a person who was chairman of the audit committee for a number of years, and he recommended that I meet people at the former legacy company. So that's how it happened for me. Is it common, John, that like a non-board search that they'd be looking for a specific profile? Like you've got more of a finance and accounting expertise. Is that right? So is that is that something that they would have been looking for? Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. The Nominations and Governance Committee is in charge of recruiting and making decisions about who's on the board. And so we have a skills matrix, just like we'd have in the organization at large, where we are trying to balance skills and experiences so that we have a, a real diversity um, in every sense of the word uh, on, the, on the board. Great. So how do you go about managing... As you, as you get into a board, I, I, I got to imagine there's a difference between what you typically have done throughout your career as you're leading a business or managing a business or leading a team. Now you're responsible for something closer to governance. So how do you find that balance, John? Is that a difficult thing? Is it, a, is it just a weird twist or do you just naturally get there as you join a board? Well, it's a good question. There, 
first of all, there's formal training that, that you can and that board members should go through. So <clears throat> there's an organization called NACD, National Association of Corporate Directors, and they offer training. And all of us on the board are members of, of the NACD. So we get trained in um, how to be an effective board member. It comes from life and business experience as well. But the you, you hit it on the head. Boards are here to represent the interests of all stakeholders. So shareholders, employees, customers, regulators, we're here to represent the interests of all those stakeholder groups to the company itself. And governance is really what it's all about. And so one of the, the great things that I learned, the great sayings about being an effective board member is the idea of nose in, fingers out. So we want to be close to the business, but we don't want to be in the business. That's what Julie and the leadership team is responsible for, is executing the strategy. So it's governance. And the second piece would be a collaborative approach to developing the strategy for the company. That's a joint effort between the board and the leadership team of the, of the entity itself. Got it. So with all of that, is there... Anything remotely close to a typical week, quote unquote, for the chair of a board of directors in a public company? Uh, no, you know, you'll have long stretches of time when things are quite routine. But when where we really earn our our pay is when there's a, a an issue, a problem of some sort, and that is where um, stakeholders rely on boards to be balanced, objective, at a slight remove from the, the kind of hue and the cry of the, or, of the day-to-day business, and we can come in and help the organization bridge through real challenges and crises. What would you say is the coolest part of your role as a chair? The coolest part of my role as a chair is to help build a long-term vision for an organization and then collaborate in seeing that, that vision get executed. And sometimes we're talking about a period of many years. That is cool. So I mentioned earlier, at least my impression was, as I get to know you as well, my impression is that you grew up more in finance and accounting. Is that right? Yep. That was my career for uh, close to 30 years. Yep. I was, a, I was an institutional investment manager. Can you walk us through a little bit of that early journey? So like, let's let's start when John Rogers is, I don't know, 16, 17, trying to figure out what he wants to be when he grows up. How does that journey take place? What were the stops along the way? Well, for me, it was really discovering kind of cause and effect of hard work by being an athlete. And so I was an athlete in college. And then after graduate school, was very interested in, in Asia. Because at the time, uh, Japan was, you know, really nipping it at our heels as the world's um, most dynamic economy. And so I, I went and made a career in Japan as a professional investor there working for U.S. companies. And then um, ultimately came, I was over in Asia for about 13 years and then came back to the United States and moved up along in management. So beyond being a portfolio manager and actually building and managing teams and and um, had some global responsibilities along the way. So, you know, I'm not, I, and I've never have pretended to be an expert in manufacturing, but I do think that I understand, you know, the attributes of a successful firm from the standpoint of, of shareholders and other stakeholders. 
That's great. So in the early innings with Madhav, at the time of recording, we're coming up on our, our one-year anniversary. So by the time this releases, maybe just after a year together, in the early innings, what would you say you're most optimistic about? I'm very optimistic about the talent that we have in, in the organization. You know, we're really good at making sophisticated and technical products that respond to the needs of sophisticated buyers. And it's important to keep sight of that, even with all the turbulence that we've had as a result of COVID, the natural change that happens when you put large organizations together. But when it comes to engineering prowess and customer intimacy, I think we, we're, um, we've got some really strong capabilities there. As you think about your role, you talked about not just the governance, but the role that you play in collaborating on building a strategy and building a long-term vision and bringing that to life. How do you feel about what we've laid out for this new combined organization for, for Madiv from a vision strategy standpoint? Well, uh, it seems to me that the vision of the, the two legacy companies was very similar. And the, the basic building blocks of the businesses were also very similar. We had slightly different strengths in slightly different areas, but they were complementary, not competitive. And so it's been a, a relatively easy integration. And I think we haven't missed a beat in terms of uh, being in complete agreement about where we need to go. What has been challenging, of course, has been market conditions. You know, we've had all these dislocations and input price inflation as a result of COVID. So that's been, there's been a lot of noise around this, but the underlying signal I think is still extremely strong and extremely um, credible. You mentioned that you're kind of the board's interface most commonly into Julie. Is there advice that you would share with the listening audience that you most commonly bestow upon Julie and or the leadership team in order to help us achieve the outcomes we're all we're all going after um i don't give julie a lot of advice i try to um offer ideas (laughs) let's put it that way i consider her my peer so I, i i guess that you know it's important to just be very objective um be authentic you know be be you and talk about problems quickly as opposed to letting letting them in any way fester and one of the refreshing things i've found in working with Julie is that she'll just come, she'll come straight um, to me and tell me what's going on. And I really welcome that. So jumping to a, a personal front, John, I, I, I like the language you use around the cause and effect of hard work. You applied it to your athletic background. What did you play, do, where did you compete? Yeah, I was a, I was a swimmer. And so I swam at college. I went to Yale. I still, I still swim. I do open water swims. There's not that much open water up here in Idaho other than lakes, but um, at least we don't have any sharks or jellyfish here, so it's a little cold. Yeah, fair enough. So you're up in Idaho now, Ketchum, Idaho, is that right? Yeah, Ketchum Sun Valley, that's right. Yep, it's, 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 we're taping on June 21st, and it snowed two days ago here, so yeah, it's kind of cold. Wow, and you're a fairly recent relocator, right? That's right, yeah. So after I retired from finance, I have a hard time staying still. And so 
I went and got retrained as a as a mental health therapist, as a counselor. So I went and picked up a I, I went all the way through and got a PhD and and I am a practicing counselor and I teach adjunct at a couple of universities. So um, I've joined a little practice up here. But the real reason to be up here is that I um, I love to ski and I'm a ski instructor and we've got a great mountain up here in Sun Valley. So I hope you all can come visit. It's a great way to spend your time. Now, last time I saw you, it appeared you had a, a new shiny piece of jewelry on your person as well. Did I misread that? No, that's right. And it wasn't it, it wasn't just jewelry. I, I, I recently got married and... The, between the two of us, we have four daughters, and it was just a wonderful. It was a wonderful celebration of life. That's great. That's great. So, living in Idaho permanently, you're both putting down stakes there. Is there such a thing as permanent at this point? <laughs> I don't even know what permanent is, um, but but uh, I can't see. Part of enjoying life is enjoying every day as the day, and so that's that's about all I think about now. Okay, so your your new bride is not an Idaho native. No, no, neither of us are, although I grew up in Seattle, but she grew up down in Florida, so she um, she finally got, got past all the hot weather. Gotcha. Well, congratulations. Was it a big wedding? Small cer- small family ceremony, just very joyful, and family and, and some friends, so yeah. That's great. And are the four daughters spread throughout the world, throughout the country? They're scattered to the four corners of of these United States, and so uh, we get to we get to jump around and see them all. Yeah. So you mentioned you you grew up in Seattle and and lived in Asia as well. Where else have you moved through your journey? Oh, let's see. Well, um, Tokyo, Sydney, Atlanta, Charlottesville. Yeah, places like that. Of your various careers, the finance and accounting and investment and mental health professional and ski instructor, which is most closely aligned to what the youngest version of John thought he would be when he grew up? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I I really don't know, Mike, exactly. I mean, I think the definition of being young is not really knowing for sure, although some people do. But I guess dimensions, dimensions of the young me have been reflected in things that I've done professionally throughout my life. So all of those different dimensions, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah. Back to living on the mountain. Are there things that you don't have access to on the mountain that are, are, are things that you've become accustomed to from a day-to-day standpoint? <laughs> well, I'm not sure about accustomed to, but yeah, living here in in in, uh, in central Idaho means that you don't have everything you'd have. It's it's hard to get fresh crabs here, for example, and fresh oysters, but but they do try. So there's stuff like that you can't get access to. But you're probably not eating crab on Sunday. Is that is that fair? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, M- making sure it's as fresh as it can be. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. Do you get a lot of concerts out in Ketchum, Idaho? Our summers are fun. Yeah, we have outdoor, there's a series of outdoor classical concerts and some jazz and that. And so bring a picnic and enjoy sitting outside. It's great. Yeah. Do you, do you get big name bands through there too, or is it more just like? Uh, not that big, you know, not not like you'd get in, in bigger cities like Denver or places like that, but big enough for us. We're, we're not too fancy. Is you, are you living like, are, are, are people close by? Like I'm picturing Yellowstone type of thing. Like, is that, is, is that what your, what your landscape is on a day-to-day basis? 
Um, well, it's it's funny because it's a narrow valley and it's uh, the population is relatively um, closely packed together. So, you know, it's not it's not like um, Kevin Costner is not flying around on a helicopter here, although there might be some other areas of the state that are like that. But no, it's more like a tight, very tight knit community um, of of local, mostly locals, although we get big uh, vacation migrations in the wintertime for skiing and then the summertime, just escaping the heat. So it's a typical kind of resort town in that sense. The snow that you mentioned just a couple of days ago, is that snow that you view as a pain in the butt because of the time of the year or because you're an instructor, you think that's an extension of some kind of season or how, how do you view that? No, I don't think about it from a skiing perspective. I think about it, you know, because we're 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 up at six thousand feet here, and it just it snows every month of the year, probably except for except for maybe July and August. Um, so that's just natural. Has that taken some getting used to, or I guess you're from Seattle, you're used to things falling from the sky. <laughs> yeah, a little getting used to, especially after Virginia and Atlanta. But um, but I welcome it. Yeah, that's great. But John, at the end of every Getting to Know podcast, we ask our guests three specific questions. I'm going to hit you with those right now. Okay. The first is, what can always be found any time of year in the Rogers refrigerator? In the Rogers refrigerator, well, you'll definitely find some of my homemade teriyaki sauce because we put that on everything. Interesting. What about your homemade teriyaki sauce makes it worth the effort versus heading down to the uh, Hy-Vee or the Kroger? Well, if I told you, then I'd, I'd tell you the secret. So I can't tell you, but it's very special. Yeah. Fair enough. How did this come about? Like you were just, did you do a lot of cooking? It's actually an old, it's a family recipe that my dad, that my dad uh, developed. And um, he was, he, he was a pilot. And so he was in Asia a lot. That was his, uh, that was his beat. And so he sort of reverse engineered something that he had had eaten there. So, yeah, that's great. And you'll put that. You said everything. Like it, it doesn't <laughs> just have to be some kind of Asian cuisine. Oh no, no, it it finds its way into all yeah all sorts of things. Yep. Very nice. All right. Second question for you, John. Amongst those who know you well, what would you say you're most famous for? <laughs> yeah. I'm certainly not famous for anything, but those who know me well like it when I make when I make them a homemade pizza. So I can make a pretty good pizza dough, and then then they get to top it with whatever they want to. And so you're you're doing you're you're making the dough from scratch. Make it from scratch, just like a just like the bakers do. <laughs> Super impressed. We uh, typically grab something that looks like a ball of dough from Publix and try to try to sell that as from scratch. So I'm, I'm impressed there. That's good. It's not hard, Mike, and you can work out your aggressions when you're, when you're kneading the dough. So I can give you that recipe. I'll take all the help I can get. I appreciate that. Last question for you, John, what would you say you're most currently looking forward to right this very moment? Well, I guess as I, as I alluded to, uh, you know, for me, I've learned to try to be very present. And so I, I don't look forward. Um, you know, we live in the past and we live in the future. We miss, we miss the only thing we have any control over, which is right now. So I, I look forward to being present. That's great, John. Well, look, I appreciate you taking time to spend with us on the Getting to Know podcast. I am certain that our listening audience will appreciate getting to know you and understanding a little bit more about your view of the role of the board of directors for sure. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say there is a, um, 
there's a style, there's a touch, there is an approach that 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 you bring, John, that I think is is really special in the boardroom. I think there's um, there's just something about the way that you do what you do that I I know we from a leadership team appreciate. So thank you for that. I'm certain that comes across in this podcast. There's just there's just an approach. So thank you for that, and thank you for all that you're doing to support us. Well, I appreciate that, Mike, very much. And I'll tell you uh, to every every single member of our team, all of my colleagues at MADEV, it's it's a real privilege to be to be part of this organization and to be in this position at this time. So um, I sure don't take it for granted. I appreciate it, John. For those of you in the listening audience, hope you enjoyed getting to know John a little bit better as I did. And we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks.